So a big thank you to Wonder Proxy who are our sponsor for this podcast. Wonder Proxy make it easy to test your website from around the world. If you're showing different content to users depending on where they are in the world, stop using hacks to see if it's working and start seeing exactly what your users see with Wonder Proxy. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham, and I'll be your castaway companion. Welcome back to Testers Island Discs with me, Mark Winteringham. It's episode 30, and today we're chatting with Lee Rathbone. Lee is a test principal at ShopDirect, organiser of the Liverpool Tester Gathering, and a compare at Test Bash Manchester. And he's also recovering from what sounds like a world tour of meetups, which we'll be discussing later. So welcome, Lee. Cheers. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the invite. It's good to have you on. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into testing? So I've, I've been in testing. I started in 1998, believe it or not. It seems decades. Well, it was decades away, but well, it was 1998. And I was working at Greyhound Track, of all things. And uh, I spun a coin on my desk and decided whether I would stay or leave that Greyhound track. And it landed on heads and I decided to leave and I had no job to go to. And I fell into testing straight after leaving the Greyhound track. And it was actually Y2K that pulled me in. Everybody was going mad for testing Y2K at the time. So, of course, they were just trying to to grab people that they thought had a uh, some kind of potential with testing and pull them into the Y2K uh, craze that was going on. So that's how I actually landed in testing. I was pulled in by the the Y2K. So what sort of testing were you doing around the Y2K stuff? So it was looking at, I mean, for those of you that remember, that are old enough to remember the Y2K, it was looking at the the transformation of changing the, the date fields from uh, being 00 to 2000 when the clock ticked over on midnight of 1999. So it was going through every single system and, for those of you that can recall, there were some horror stories going around or myths going around that planes were going to fall out of the sky and cash points were going to spew out all the all their money. And I even recall people standing by cash points as the clock ticked over in uh, in nineteen ninety nine, hoping that cash would just come out. But it was it was testing all the systems to make sure that when that clock ticked over, there was nothing that was going to crash the system, cause an error, corrupt customers' data. Um, so it was it was looking at that. Oh, cool. So as I said earlier, you've been on quite a whirlwind tour of meetups. I think you said 20 meetups in six months. Is that correct? Yeah. So what happened towards the back end of last year was we decided to have a little bit of a break from Liverpool Tester Gathering, the three of us that run it. So that's Duncan Nisbet and Chris Thacker and myself. So I decided to embed myself in the meetup scene uh, around the country. So I decided half my time would be just attending meetups and learning and networking. And the other half of attending meetups would be actually speaking. So um, I had to create a talk in order to get the speaking slot. So uh, I created a, a talk called The Mobile Phone is Dead. Um, and I went to meetups such as Chester Devs, Lancashire Tech Talks, um, Newcastle Tester Gathering, Leeds Tester Gathering. Um, been all at Peterborough. Been, been, all, been lucky enough to be invited all around the country, actually. And it's, it's really reinvigorated my love if that if it actually needed reinvigorating it's given me an extra spurt of growth for testing and tech and getting out there and meeting people because this is the way i learn uh different people learn in different ways and mine is to actually meet people face to face and talk so it's been a real whirlwind 
Uh, and I've done something which is, uh, I think is normal, but may sound strange to people. I've gone to meetups that aren't to do with my craft. So I've gone to data meetups, AI meetups, dev meetups, um, deliberately so I can see what they're talking about, what their pain points are, what language they learn. So it's been a real roller coaster. It's been amazing. Yeah, I think that's that's something of note is that uh, we do talk a lot about the community around how we should be opening out to other areas and stuff. But we tend to talk about that on the, sort of the conference yeah. level where, you know, if you've only got enough money to go to one conference, yeah. you're naturally going to be biased around something in your own craft. Yeah, and I found everybody in the different crafts meetups, so the AI, the dev, uh, the data, they've all been very welcoming. Um, there hasn't been anything like, oh, my God, you're a tester, what are you doing here? It's been quite the opposite. Uh, I've been welcomed, and at one of the dev meetups, they spoke to me afterwards and said, would you come and talk? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about your talk specifically. Um, but before that, um, why don't you tell us about your first song that you're going to bring to you on the island? Yeah, so my first song is from a group called New Order, and it's called True Faith. And I'd like to tell a bit of a story behind this one. So it was released in 1987, and, and I was, God, how old was I then? I was 15 years old, and I, I think the music I was listening to was things like Phil Collins and, and stuff like that, real charty stuff. And I remember watching New Order perform True Faith live on TV and it just hit me like a hammer. And I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. This, this energy, this thing that I was seeing on the screen and listening to was just something I hadn't heard before. And from that moment on, it completely changed my whole music taste. It changed the way I thought about music. And actually this song, when I'm in trouble, when I, I think maybe I'm having a bit of a wobble or I'm thinking about my mental well-being, I'll put this song on because it takes me on a real journey. That was True Faith by New Order. So, Lee, you've been touring this talk, the mobile phone is dead, around all these uh, different meetups, like a guitarist in the back of a van, maybe. <laughs> That's how it's felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, could you share a, a bit of detail about what it's covering and sort of what you're interested in around the talk? Yeah, it's, it's a controversial title um, for a simple reason that I would believe that most of us involved in tech and creating code, um, we're involved in testing at our desks on either a desktop or testing for a mobile phone. And I would imagine that's where the majority of us reside. So if you come across something like the mobile phone is dead, 
Um, what does that mean for testing? Or when I changed it for developers, I said, what does it mean for developers? Um, I, I, I'm guessing that it, it, it stirs quite a bit of emotion in people because people are thinking, well, hang on, I work on software that sits in mobile phones. So the, the reason for the title is to grab people's imagination and to actually stir the honeypot. I like to be a little bit controversial, but then during the talk, um, I take people on a real journey. So I've got a question for you, Mark. When you last upgraded your mobile phone, you would have got a box with the phone. It's all shiny. I'm guessing you would have been a little bit excited, some butterflies in your stomach. And as you unwrap the cellophane and open the box, you open up and take out a shiny new phone. And then that's where the fun ends. Am I correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because the yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? For the last four years, people around the world have been upgrading their mobile phones. They go through this amazing journey at the beginning where the box arrives. They open it and they go, oh, my God, yes, the Samsung 9 or the iPhone X. And then they turn it on and the disappointment starts there. And there's a reason for it, Mark, isn't there? Well, I'm sure you're going to tell me, isn't it? <laughs> it's because it's because there's no innovation left in mobile phones. They've reached their tipping point. They've reached the the, the peak of what they can actually do. You might get some uh, finger security or some face security recognition in there, but that's about it. You might get a, 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 bigger, a better pixel camera. But again, that's about it. There's nothing new in phones. So the whole talk is about, well, if phones reached its maximum point now regarding innovation, where is the innovation and what does it mean to testers and developers and people generally involved in, in tech and creating the new world, but creating it today? So the talk takes people on a real roller coaster. I, I use several examples as to why the mobile phone is dead. Um, and I also use a scenario of... Um, the following, can I, can I relay that scenario? Go for it. Okay, so imagine uh, I work in retail. So imagine one of our, our customers is walking down the street and she's, she's covered in wearable tech. She's wearing the Microsoft, uh, Microsoft Mixed Reality glasses. She's covered in wearable tech. And I'm not talking about smart watches. I'm talking about wearable tech sewn into her underwear, her skirt, her dress, her socks, her shoes. She's walking down the road and she sees another lady walking towards her in a beautiful red dress. And all of a sudden, in milliseconds, several things happen. Her eyes dilate and the Microsoft Mixed Reality glasses pick that up. A bit of sweat leaves her body and all the wearable tech picks that up. And all of a sudden, that's data. Her heartbeat jumps. That's data. And all of that tech that's captured, all of that data sends it to a big data lake. There's a real-time decision engine that knows what to do with that data. And a retail company projects back into the top right-hand corner of the mixed reality glasses a picture of her wearing that red dress that she's just seen in her size. And a voice appears on the arm and, and says, would you like to buy this red dress? And the lady says, yes, please. There's no interaction with a mobile phone. It gets delivered the next day. The payment's already done in the background. That's the scenario I bring to life in the meetup because there is no mobile phone there. Everything mentioned in that scenario is all connected to the layer of tech, which isn't tomorrow, it's right now. All of that tech that I've described there in that scenario exists right now and there's no mobile phone needed. So what does it mean to a tester to test that specific scenario I've relayed there? There's a lot involved there. There's security, there's performance, there's usability, there's functionality. 
There's accessibility. There's all sorts in there. So this is where during the talk I bring to life how our skill sets need to change. We need to go on the front foot and go on a self-development path to know how to test this cool layer of tech that's already here. I mean, that sounds utterly terrifying as a technological implementation, <laughs> if I'm honest. But uh, I've always considered myself a bit of a neo-Luddite. Um, but I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the... The, the point you come across there is, is something that I've sort of uh, experienced myself is that um, it's not just that the mobile phone is, is potentially, you know, maybe not dead, but maybe evolving um, yeah. in, into these other concepts and stuff. Yeah. But it is, it's those changes in interfaces. So the sort of traditional way that we think as testers in terms of the interfaces that we interact with now are going yeah. to fundamentally change because, you know, how do you, so, you know, you give your heartbeat and uh, sweat example, like how do you recreate something like that um, yeah. at the right measure rather than just running up and down uh, set of staircases? <laughs> it, it, you're spot on, Mark. And I'll give you an example. We were speaking to um, a company that, that do finger recognition. So they do finger scanning security software uh, and hardware. And they said something really fascinating. In the cold, your fingerprint changes. It changes and the fingerprint scanners can't recognize your fingerprints in the cold. Now, that blew my head because if you think about how on earth would you test that, you've got to put your finger on a block of ice <laughs> or go outside and stand outside and put it in some snow or something. Running it under cold water isn't enough. It's got to be colder than that. So all of a sudden, we've got to start thinking about the different environments we're going to have to test in. And guess what? It won't be at our desks. It needs to be in different places. I've seen a few talks, um, again, sort of in the mobile space, but uh, very much about people who take their phones out. Um, so, you know, merely it's just a, a vessel for the, the GPS data that has to, yeah. has to be true and, and feedback and uh, I remember watching one talk. Um, I apologise for the person who gave the talk. Uh, it was up in Norwich. I've forgotten his name. I'm really bad. But um, he was talking about how one of their testers actually goes on a route around the country um, with a phone in his pocket because they have to track commuting data. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not quite what you think you're going to sign on for. You know, oh, I thought I was going to have a desk job, but actually I've got to travel <laughs> 300 what? miles around the country. <laughs> It's it's funny you say that, Mark, because when I was at Sony Ericsson, um, we were obviously testing the world's first touchscreen smartphone. And me and another tester called Bill Watson, if he's listening to this, he'll really laugh when he hears this. We used to get in a car and drive around a little town called Lim. It's in Cheshire. And the reason we chose Lim is because four cells came together at once, you know, phone network cells. Um, four cells overlapped each other within a mile. Uh, a square mile. So we just drove round and round Lim as fast as we could, travelling through these different cells with mobile phones, with logging all all attached to the mo uh, to the phone calls we were making, to see how the phone handled transferring from one cell to another. So we were out in the field testing. <laughs> how did the uh, how did the police officer take it when they thought you were speeding? <laughs> we didn't get caught, but we also used to, and this is why I loved Sony Ericsson. We used to ask testers if they were going on their travels at weekends. And if they said yes, especially on trains, we all know the troubles we still have on trains with mobiles, but this was back in 2005. We'd give them a phone for the weekend and we'd put logging on the phone. We'd say, right, use your phone when you're on the train. 
and we'd get all the logs back and we'd analyze where the signal had dropped and we'd analyze whether that was due to the phone signal, whether it was down to the phone software. So, you know, we really were testing in the field way back in the day. Oh, so there's a lot there to unpack around um, self-development and like learning new skills and new crafts. But uh, before we move into that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your second song? Oh, yes. So it's from a fabulous band. I, I really love this band. It's Massive Attack. Uh, the, the song is called um, Unfinished Sympathy, uh, an amazing tune that, um, it, I used to be a DJ, and if you look at any DJ's top 10 lists of songs, this is always in the top 10. It's a song that's very uh, melodramatic. It's passionate. It's got an amazing video that's filmed in one shot. Um, it's very famous, the video, for being shot in one shot. There's no pausing. It's just continuously filmed uh, with the singer constantly walking around the streets of LA, and uh, like, there's loads of things happening in the background. The, the song gives me goosebumps, uh, it's directed by uh, a guy called Bally Walsh, who also directed a New Order song. So there's a connection between this and the previous group that I introduced for my song one. Um, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful song. It was deliberately filmed in L.A. because apparently when the sun goes down in L.A., it creates a certain colour on the streets. And the director was absolutely adamant that this only ever happened in L.A. So that's the reason it was filmed on the streets of L.A. So it's a, it's a beautiful song. That was Unfinished Sympathy by Massive Attack. So there's a lot of changes coming um, coming up for testers in terms of the technologies that, that we're working with. Like, how do you how do you go about sort of improving your self development and sort of reacting to these changes and coming up with crazy ideas like driving around in a car full of mobiles? <laughs> um, God, that's a tough question. I think for me, you've got to keep an eye on the future. Uh, and I'll get I'll tell you a, a story and I'm sure this has happened to some people I don't I think it happens less now but it's happened to me in the past I've had CIOs or CTOs come up to me and go Lee dude we've got a project in that secret room that's been locked for weeks and weeks and weeks and inside there's been a bunch of developers working on some new tech it's all been on the NDA and testing hasn't really been needed but hey guess what they've built this wonderful new tech now and we need to test it so it's over to you uh, it's coming out of NDA and we need you to spin up a test team. And that has genuinely happened to me at some companies. So for me now, um, I think about what's trending in my current industry, what's trending in my craft, what do I enjoy doing? So I remember when Alexa first came out, I'd, I'd been researching it for a bit, and it came out around about September 2016 on, on Amazon UK. It had been out in America for about a month, and I bought the, like, the first day it was launched, I went and bought it. 
And imagine my joy when it appeared and I started using it. And I thought, this is really cool. And the reason I thought that would be the future of tech is because when we as humans interact with people, we mostly, apart from those who are impaired, we use voice, visual and um, gestures. So when Amazon Alexa came along, I thought, wow, this is really cool. And then I started to think, hang on, this isn't just really cool. This is going to be the future. This is going to be something that, especially in retail, where I'm currently residing, um, this is going to take over. So I need to understand the technology a bit more. So I became curious, and I believe testers are curious explorers. So I thought, well, I've got to start taking a little bit of my own medicine here. And instead of preaching about going off and doing self-development, I've got to go on the front foot myself. So I went into a bit of a research mode, uh, got myself a, an AWS account. Inside AWS, it's quite scary. There's a hell of a lot of stuff in there, but I... I found the Amazon Alexa developer toolkit quite easily. Um, I started watching some videos and following them. I, I then realized they were out of date and I got stuck. <laughs> so a beautiful thing happened. I got stuck and I thought, I need to pair with someone. So I started pairing with someone called Dean Milne at Shop Direct. And we then moved on a little bit through our journey. And guess what? We got stuck again. So I thought, I need to mob with some people. <laughs> so we then went into we, we then went into mobbing, which is where you have one computer in a room, one keyboard, one screen, um, and everybody takes their turn in different doing different roles in the room. So everyone gets a chance at typing the code. Everyone gets a chance at making notes and doing observations and giving feedback. One person is a timekeeper, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we actually built a dummy uh, Alexa skill um, through mobbing. And through building that Alexa skill, I now know what's needed to test an Alexa skill. And you don't even need an Alexa. The toolkit is that good. It has a simulator uh, built in. And once you've compiled your code and, and you can go into the test part of the simulator and start testing it. So this was a real valuable lesson for me. Uh, here was Lee Rathbone, who last time he wrote code was 1999, uh, and it was VB6. And here he is again writing code in AWS in the Amazon Alexa developer toolkit. How cool am I? No, I'm not cool. I've just gone on the front foot. I just seized an opportunity. Now, if we were to have an NDA project, uh, which we don't, by the way, at, at Shop Direct, but if someone was to come along to me and say, hey, Lee, dude, we've got some developers who have been building this Alexa skill, and now you need to build a test team to test it, I'd be right on the front foot. I'd know exactly what skill sets we'd need. And with Alexa, the beautiful thing is the voice bit gets turned into text, and once it's turned into text, you can automate. So um, I would really know what I'd need. And it really put me on the front foot, I think. Yeah, so it's about experimenting, uh, finding those sort of little projects to have a little play around with and yeah. those sort of opportunities. And I think it's about pick something that you actually have a passion about. There's nothing worse than going off and learning something that you've got zero interest in, zero passion. Uh, you're just not going to give it your all. And it is about experimenting and finding out what it is that fuels your passion. So yeah, that's that's great. But obviously, we're talking about very much a specific sort of style or approach to learning. Because I, I react in the same way. I like to play with things and learn through that way, that sort of kinesthetic way. Obviously, there aren't people that react in the same way. Like, what sort of advice do you give to them um, to learn new things? I think a really important thing to understand as, a, as a, a leader in a test community or as someone that might uh, be a manager of someone in the test world or even the tech world is that different people learn differently. And 
you know, the one size fits all just simply does not work when it comes to developing a team, developing individuals. You need to put, I, I believe you need to put a framework in place where people can choose where and how they go and learn and when. So I'll give you an example. I think some people work, learn really well in isolation. Some people like to pair. Some people like to work in a team. Some people love the watch, then pair, then do. Um, and some people like to work, learn through visually, so online learning as an example, or through touch or through ears. So some people love podcasts or audio books. Uh, some people like to do it through, when I say touch, I'm talking about actually stroking keyboards and, and actually doing it on a keyboard. So I think it's about creating a safe environment for people to explore and explore exactly how they learn really well. Um, and that means they're going to have to fail because they'll go and explore one way and they'll go, ooh, didn't like that. And then they need to come back and you need to give them encouragement and say, that's all right. What have you learned from that? You've learned that you don't like working in big groups. So go away and explore working individually or how about making the group smaller? And I think it's just that framework of help. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, it took me a long time to work out my learning style. Um, and it's like you say, it's that sort of iterative approach, making mistakes, you know, having those failed projects behind me, they'd never got anywhere because actually the way that I was approaching it wasn't necessarily the right way yeah. for me. There's still value in learning yeah. from that. In fact, my first ever public talk was fail is not a dirty word. Um, and uh, you know, I just brought to life a, a couple of the failures I'd had in my testing career and just relayed back what I'd learned from them. And I thought the, I thought the talk would be laughed off stage. Um, but here I am five years later, still doing public talks. Brilliant. Yes. And all for the better of it. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, I'll try and find a, a link to that talk if you have one somewhere recorded, maybe. Yeah, it's it's on YouTube. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah so we'll yeah. Uh, we'll put a link in the uh, description below, and and people can check that out. Awesome. Um, but for now, we should move on to your third song, which is a personal favourite <clears throat> of mine. So uh, tell us all about it. Oh, right. So this is, and I hope I'm going to pronounce his name right. And when I pronounce it, I'm going to put on a real stupid, dumb American Italian accent. It's uh, in in <laughs> I, I can't even say it. Ennio Marconi. Have I said that right? I, y you are asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully some of our Italian listeners or New York Italian listeners can tell me if I said that right. But this is a song called The Ecstasy of the Gold, and it's from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and when I listen to this tune, it takes me on a real journey back to a real happy childhood. I remember watching all the Clint Eastwood um, Western films and you know, the, 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 the colour in the films, I always wanted to beat Clint Eastwood on the horse. Um, and just the, the colour, the filming, the direction of the films were fantastic. But this specific film, if anybody remembers the good and the bad and the ugly, is when the, the ugly bloke is, is, is running around the, the uh, graveyard looking for the tombstone that has the name of the soldier who has the gold buried in his grave. And it's, it's three minutes of him just running around a graveyard. Now, you think in a film, that'd be really boring. But this song, it starts off really light and it builds up. And then the woman's operatic voice kicks in. And then there's a male um, opera uh, group of men in background adding vibrancy to the song. It peaks several times. And it's just an absolutely fascinating bit of music that when I close my eyes 
um, really takes me on a journey of feelings, expressions, passion. It's a beautiful song. Why is it one of your favourites, Mark? Well, it's just because it's a fantastic film. And again, it's the same thing. It reminds me of of that sort of just before that pivotal scene where the three of them are sort of facing <laughs> each other off. Yeah. Um, then also, much to some people's dislike, um, I think that it, so it was used for uh, Metallica's Symphony in Metal or S&M album uh, as right. the intro song. So they're playing this as Metallica came on and the live version of it that's done by the orchestra is fantastic. And it was actually that, because I'd already seen The Good, The Bad, The Ugly before right. that, but it was like re-listening to it on that album that sort of kind of um, reignited my love for that film and, and for Spaghetti Westerns. Wow. Uh, can I reveal a bit of a tenuous link between this song and New Order? Go on then. Um, so New Order was my first song. Um, the tenuous link here is, I, I, I suppose, telling a bit of a story would help. So when I watched The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, I would imagine I was about eight or nine. And the music in it, if you went out onto the streets where I lived and said, hey, I've just watched The Good, The Bad and The Ugly and I love the music, you'd have been beaten to a pulp. Um, it just wasn't the thing you did where I lived. Um, so it, do you know what I mean? But um, New Order uh, have, has a, a singer called Barney Sumner. And I've just read his biography and he reveals in the book that he actually loves all of um, Ennio Marconi's, Marconi's music. And I just thought, wow, oh, my God, my, my idol, Barney Sumner from New Order, loves the same music I did when I was a kid. It, it's unreal. It's uncanny. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> well, um, let's create some more fans uh, by having a little listen. So that was The Ecstasy of Gold by Ennio Morricone. I think I probably did just as bad a job as Lee with that name as well. <laughs> so we're talking about continuous learning and self-development and just the continuous act of improving yourself and exposing yourself to new ideas. But it can be difficult um, for people working in teams to find the time or to get buy-in. How do you... Uh, encourage like sort of cultural changes like how do you create a culture to encourage self-development and continuous learning wow um i think it's really hard Uh, if anybody says the answer to that question is easy i i I would challenge that i think everywhere i've gone um it's been really hard shop direct has really taken me on a journey uh in order to answer this so i think i'm i'm i've got a gut feeling that i would guess the majority of companies now realize the importance of self-development and continuous learning 
I think the continuous everything sort of language that's been used around tech is helping with that. I think companies are now realizing they get more from people if they give them time to self-develop, innovate and learn. So I think now the, the answer is far easier to give you. But when I went to Shop Direct, um, I would say that they would, were just starting their journey on this. And I started with Lunch and Learns. I think I called them brown paper bags at the time. And we just started with a few brown paper bags. And I remember my first one was how to use Prezi. It wasn't even about testing. It was just about how to use Prezi as an alternative tool for presenting. And then the culture of lunch and learn started to spread. And, and now I think that that was almost the seed that grew into a, a tree. The, I, I, I started sharing all my knowledge around um, great podcasts, so testing in the pub, um, all the great podcasts that were around, any great audio books, so I'd write a little synopsis and send it around. And I think the, the way you, you change the culture is by sharing. And you might feel alone, but sharing is caring. So you may feel, oh, I've just shared all this, I'm not getting any responses, but I can guarantee you if you send, say, um, I've read this book, this was brilliant, this is my takeaways. If you send that to 10 people in your organization, I guarantee one person will take something from that. And that's all you need to start changing the culture. You just need that one person to get on board and go, you know what, yeah, I, I, due to your email saying read this book or the Slack message or whatever it was, I went and read it. Um, so I use something called Yammer in uh, Shop Direct, which is almost like a social media internal tool. And I just started plowing everything onto that. And I mean everything. I, I think I became a pain to everybody in Shop Direct with the amount of stuff that <laughs> I started putting up there. But but beautiful things happened. Um, we started Liverpool Tester Gathering based off feedback from people in Shop Direct. Um, you know, they were saying it wouldn't be great if we had a local tester gathering to go to instead of going to Manchester. Lee, you talk about Manchester, Manchester, Manchester. For me, it's what about Liverpool? And that's when myself, Duncan and Chris had the conversation to start that. Um, the, the, the things now that are happening in Shop Direct, it, it's gone absolutely mental with all the different cool stuff. We do something now called a tech forum. Management didn't start that. That was just a cool bunch of cool cats, engineers. Uh, every two weeks now, there's an hour where they redesign the whole area where they sit. And they do a little forum where they just show, play back what they're working on. And it's different presenters each time. And, and that came from the ground up. And I think that's the really powerful thing. When you're trying to change culture for learning, it's got to come from the ground up. As a manager, you can walk the floors and go, hey, dude, you've all got to start listening to podcasts or listening to audio books or going to meetups. It won't land. It's got to come from the ground up. So you've got to encourage people and give people the freedom. But changing culture in companies is bloody tough. Yeah, I, I had um, a discussion recently with um, uh, an agile consultant who was talking about how they'd shifted their view rather than it being organizational change but it's personal change um and you know trying to if, if your goal your immediate goal is organizational change then you're just going to hit a brick wall but the yeah the influencing the people around you you know demonstrating the value by showing how much you're progressing and learning from it as well and you know you bring people on that way you persuade them yeah it's a great shout i think um a couple of things i, I I've, I've done a scrape of the northwest uh, meetups um, and i've put them all on a spreadsheet and send them around i've just sent them around internally 
a shop direct and i did it about six months ago as well so i've just refreshed the list today and i've actually loaded it up onto linkedin as well onto a post so others can benefit and something amazing happened i went to an agile meetup about four months ago and there was a guy from work there and i went dude how come you're here and he went your spreadsheet and i was like wow and and that alone, just by sharing some information, somehow the spreadsheet had landed in his inbox. He'd opened it up. He got curious um, and, and he'd gone. But he also said something really important. He said, well, I own my self-development, so I've got to start learning. If I want to stay relevant, I've got to start learning and getting up to date with what's happening in Agile, what's happening with the latest tech. He said, because I own it. Shop Direct do not own my self-development. And I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, I think that that's and that's a lovely way to sort of bring that full circle is there that it's 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 about owning your own self-development. If you don't care about the craft that you're you're involved in, then maybe it's the case that the craft is is that isn't for you and you yeah. need to find yeah. other passions. But yeah, having that sort of taking responsibility for your own um your own direction and your own learning, even if it's a case of that there's something that you're working on that doesn't really have any clear goal or clear value for now. It may be that that, that information comes up at a future future point. Yeah, I, I think I used to get really frustrated with people that didn't or don't see themselves as wanting to become either a Jedi master at testing or their craft. And I, I just think, God, why, why don't you want to do this? And then I realize everyone's context is different, isn't it? Some people in, in their workplace, I remember listening to um, Ali Hill about his, his journey at UK Star, and he was given something like six hours a week to self-develop. And I thought, wow, you lucky bugger. Uh, that's phenomenal. Um, and then I realized some people are so under pressure to deliver, deliver, deliver in the workplace. By the time they leave, they're exhausted. They're mon mentally exhausted. Their well-being eventually goes at risk. And everyone's... Um, context and situation is very very different so i no longer get frustrated with people that don't want to become a, a jedi master but i do fear for their future well yep you've heard it here then you gotta gotta start self-development now or uh you'll be stuck in a bin with a mobile phone in your hand like while everyone's <laughs> sweating into their dresses or whatever is <laughs> the future that according to lee <laughs> um, can, can, I, can I just be clear about the mobile phone I will clear it up because in the talk that I give I do actually say the mobile phone is not actually dead it actually becomes part of that layer of tech and it plays a role but it just won't be your primary device anymore so I do I do go full circle <laughs> during the talk and say don't throw your mobile phones away don't get don't go back to work and say Lee said the mobile phone's dead therefore we've got to ditch our apps what I actually say at the end of the talk is it will just get submerged into a layer of tech where it's not so standoutish. All right, so Android can call the dogs <laughs> off now then, yeah? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Liverpool Tester Gathering, but um, before we get onto that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about song number four? Wow, yes. So another tenuous link with New Order. So this is Joy Division, and it's called Atmosphere. And the link is, for those that aren't aware, uh, Joy Division formed in 1976-77, in and the singer then uh, hung himself uh, 18th of May, 1980. And Joy Division then uh, were, were taken away and, and the, the, the remaining people became New Order. So that's the, the tenuous link. The, the song is very, very deep. Uh, when I first heard the words, I actually thought stupidly 
that it was a song that was anti-Maggie Thatcher, who was the prime minister at the time. Um, but it's actually not. It's all about how the singer felt about his relationship with his wife. He was having, uh, he was suffering really bad from epilepsy and mental um, illness. Uh, and I, I, I do think to myself, if if Joy Division had been around today, with all the help and support that there is for people suffering with um, their well-being, um, would he have survived? And I think yes, he would. But back in 1980, obviously the world was a different place. Uh, when I listen to this song, again, it takes me on a real journey because it's quite deep. The words are very deep. Um, the song is quite solemn, um, but it's it's emotional. Um, and it reminds me to check in uh, with myself about my mental well-being. Um, so it, it's quite deep. Um, it's very emotional. It's very passionate. So that was Atmosphere by Joy Division. So I've had the pleasure of uh, speaking at Liverpool Tester Gathering. It's one of my favourite uh, meetups to come along to. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was one of the booziest as well. It was quite a late one. <laughs> but um, how are things going with Liverpool Tester Gathering? You were saying that you'd taken a little bit of time off from it? Yeah, we had Lisa Crispin in September 2018. Um, when we had Lisa, uh, it was fantastic, but we decided to give all of ourselves a bit of a break. It's a bit like a band. So going back to New Order, they had a break in 1993 and didn't reform until 1998. Uh, and, and we pretty much had done the same. We've had a good break from each other. We've come back with lots of ideas. Um, we've got our test gathering, Liverpool test gathering on the 16th of December in Liverpool, we have James Whitaker, who, for those who aren't aware of James Whitaker, is quite a controversial character. Uh, I think he stirs quite a lot of emotion in those testers who have been in the testing environment for you know some time because he did do a talk called Testing is Dead. Um, he did go on to state that testing is not dead and it's all about self-development and changing the value add that you bring. But I think people just saw the testing is dead uh, and took it literally. Um, he's a very controversial speaker. He's a very passionate speaker. He's probably one of the best public speakers I've come across. So that's our next meetup. Oh, any other plans that you can share or are they still in the pipeline? I, th I think, yeah, still in the pipeline. I think what we want to get to is is almost creating a Liverpool test gathering platform and outsourcing it so anybody can come along and plug into the platform uh, and, and do a Liverpool test gathering meetup. Um, so we almost put all the tools in place, all the frameworks, and and then just outsource it so anybody can say, right, this is my meetup and I'm going to run it and it's going to be done in the way I want to, but at least there's a framework that Lee, Chris and Duncan have put in place. And that's one idea we're playing with. We're still to flesh it out, to be honest. That sounds like an interesting experiment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Duncan's idea. He's full of these mad ideas. 
Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Duncan. Hi. <laughs> well, I think that leads us to um, your last song pick. So what's your final song going to be? I don't think this one needs too much of an introduction, to be honest. It's Faithless and Insomnia. All the different versions of it. You've got the four-minute version, the seven-minute, and then the nine-minute monster version, and, and many more. It's a song that is very, uh, it's very dance orientated. Obviously, it's it's manic. It reminds me of the days where I used to roll out of nightclubs at eight in the morning, in the week where people doing a nine to five job were actually going to work, and I'd been listening to this kind of music all night in a nightclub, uh, and it, it just used to put me on such a high. Um, so it's beautiful, it's brilliant, it's energetic, it's faithless insomnia. So that was Insomnia by Faithless. Uh, so Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and talking about like learning and self-development, definitely a passion of mine. Um, so there's not much left for us to discuss. Um, I just got one last question for you, which is uh, what book are you going to take with you to the desert island? Yeah, it's one that I've only just read and I'm ashamed to say it's called Lean Startup. I've listened to it on audiobook. Um, a, a bit like New Order, True Faith, the way that hit me like a hammer. This book hit me like a hammer because the message that's relayed throughout the whole book is that you do measure learn in small chunks. You do measure learn. You do measure learn. Uh, it links very tightly to the Deming cycle and the Deming 14 principles, which if you're aware of, um, Agile is actually born from, from Lean and from Deming's 14 principles. Well, I believe it is anyway. Um, it ties into um, the, the talk that I give which unbeknown to me, I was actually relaying the message of do measure learn. Um, so it gave me confidence that when I was out there talking about the fact that we should chunk stuff down as small as possible and we should learn and get feedback, this book just reinforced um, and gave me confidence. It's a great read. It's full of very short, sharp stories about startups and how they do the do measure learn. Uh, it's fantastic. Get it read. Cool. Um, I must admit, I've not read it. So uh, I'm going to... I'm going to take the bat on and um, get myself a copy and, and read it as well. Because I think uh, working for a company like uh, Mott, I think Lean Startup uh, will be very useful for me as well. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, uh, that's it for this podcast. Um, are there any ways in which people can get in touch with you, Lee? And do you have any upcoming talks or events other than uh, the Liverpool Test of Gathering stuff? Yes, yeah, so um, they can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I am Lee Rathbone and Lee is L-E-I-G-H, Lee Rathbone. Uh, or on Twitter, I am at Villabone, which is a combination of the football team I support and the last part of my name. 
Um, they can email me at lee.rathbone at shopdirect.com. I'm quite happy for people to email me if they've got any questions. Uh, upcoming events, concentrating on the Liverpool Tester Gathering, possibly a few um, meetups from now till Christmas, but I'm trying to keep them to a minimum so I can just focus on the James Whitaker events. Well, that's it for now. Um, if you want to get in touch with the podcast and um, would like to join us, um, you can get in touch with us at Tester Island Discs um, on Twitter, um, or there's going to be a link in the description uh, to submit uh, your songs and book. So all that's left for me to say is goodbye and goodbye, Lee. Thank you and goodbye, Mark. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Mark Winteringham. Created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. So a big thank you to Wonder Proxy who are our sponsor for this podcast. Wonder Proxy make it easy to test your website from around the world. If you're showing different content to users depending on where they are in the world, stop using hacks to see if it's working and start seeing exactly what your users see with Wonder Proxy.